Um, we've been looking at how we can take time out from the busy season that has just passed and refocus ourselves and refresh ourselves and get ready for what is approaching as probably going to be another harried and exhausting year. Aren't they all? Yeah, yay! Look at all the work we did in the last three weeks. You know what? Pastor Justin did a great job. He reminded us, and he's, he's exemplifying this by taking some time off. He reminded us of what well-seasoned rest looks like. And then Pastor Anoke talked to us about finding peace in the moments of solitude, which is so important to pull away like Jesus did. And then Pastor Stan talked to us about the reality that uh, Jesus said, come. This, it wasn't a command. It was an invitation to come all who are weary and you can find rest in him. So you can catch up that, that up on our social media channels that are right there for you. And if you've never done that, have a, check them out. Scan that code, go check them out and see what's on there. You might have missed something good. I was in a meeting this week that I almost forgot about. I was doing something for Belinda, and I said, let me jump onto my SIM computer, which I still do four days a week with SIM, a mission organization. And I got on the computer, and a notice came up, you have a meeting in 15 minutes. And it's like, oh, I forgot about my meeting. I haven't done my hair. I haven't, you know, all of those things that we ladies sometimes get wrapped up in. But as I talked with my member care teammates, um, now, my master's degree is in member care, which is the care of, of overseas workers. Um, we were talking about uh, setting boundaries and burnout. It always comes up, and the solution's always, well, you just got to set better boundaries, to which I replied, well, in that case, I'm just canceling Christmas next year, okay? <laughs> now, before you get worried, I love Christmas. That will never happen, and it has to be perfect, so that is what I need to work on. But, um, you know, sometimes we can't, control all the boundaries or all the things that are coming at us. You know, as I was listening to the songs, I thought, how ironic. No, it's not really ironic because God is so amazing, but it was such a, have you ever heard of priming a pump where you have to put water in or get it working before it'll actually produce water? We did not coordinate. I just want you to know that. We did not coordinate and say, this is what I'm speaking on. This is what I need you to sing. Okay, it didn't work that way. God did that. And I am just sitting there amazed because I know what I'm going to tell you. So I want you to listen close because I think God is at work in this place today. Okay, I think he works here a lot. So it's not just today, but I, I just get a sense that he is with us today. You know, when we think about Christmas, I think every Christmas um, I get, we get, Stan and I get this gift from some friends of ours. And it's a calendar that showcases all the Queensland beautiful sunny beaches, right? Every year, and every time I have to turn that calendar page, there's another beautiful, sunny Queensland beach. I think it's always summer in Queensland, and it must always be sunny and perfect and beautiful. And I think she gives this to us because she's trying to convince us how much better Queensland is and that we should move there. <laughs> now, being from Florida in the United States, um, it's very tempting because I know what it's like to live in a place like that. But you know what? What stops me is, you know, I, I love the sun, I love the beach, I love water sports like fishing and boating, they're so relaxing. However, I would much rather have my water in a glass than in the air. Anybody with me? <laughs> so that alone will keep me in Melbourne. I am curious, uh, I wonder how many of you are water drinkers? Yeah? Show of hands, you always have a water bottle on you. 
My daughters are that way. Every time we go out anywhere, they always have a bottle of water. They have bottles of water for the kids. There's water abounding. It is heavy to carry around, and they fuss it because I don't do this. In fact, I had uh, trouble with a very nasty kidney stone right after we moved to Australia in my early 30s. And the doctor said, drink buckets of water if you never want this to happen again. Well, I can tell you I never want it to happen again, but I still don't drink buckets of water. It's just a struggle for me. I try, I try. Well, you know, um, this week we said goodbye to some friends that were visiting shortly from uh, South Asia overseas, and we had caught up with them for lunch on Monday, and, and she excitedly brought back to the table a bottle of sparkling mineral water. And she says, oh, I'm, I'm so glad to have this because we can't get this where we live. And, and, you know, being here in Melbourne, I mean, I'm always caught off guard because anytime you sit down at a cafe, you usually ask, and you ask for a glass of water, they're like, still or sparkling. And I'm like, oh, there's a choice. I just wanted water. And, and I'm like, whatever's free, because that, that shows you a little bit of my heart. I don't care as long as it's water and it doesn't cost me anything, we're good. But, you know, when we think about that difference between still and sparkling, we're going to focus in on what it means to be still, okay? How can we be still and find God in that stillness? We're going to be looking at a verse that probably most of you, whether you're here in person or online listening to this at another time, you're going to be familiar with this verse. It's Psalms 46.10, and it says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. You know, the first person of this verse is often chopped off and taken out of its context, um, which is, it doesn't really change what it's saying, but we miss a whole lot. It gets put on plaques and posters and cards and t-shirts and stuff because we need something we can grab hold of quickly and be reminded to chill out when things are going crazy, be still and know that I am God. For those that are new or unfamiliar with Christianity, there may be some of you here today or watching this later, the Psalms are a book of song lyrics and poetry, okay? And as song lyrics, they were actually sung and they've been sung throughout the centuries. And we can still, you know, so if you think about it in that, it's a song that is being sung here, written to be sung. When I studied this one verse, and I asked myself, well, what does it mean? What are they trying to say? Be still. So I went like I normally do. If I'm reading a book and I come across a word I don't know, I'll go get a dictionary and look it up. Well, I know, think I know what the word still means, but let me just see if there's any nuance to it. And there wasn't, not really. The dictionary says it's, the word still means not moving, motionless, steady, or frozen. You know, interestingly, our recorded scriptures in the Old Testament are in the Hebrew language for the most part. So I thought, well, let me see what the Hebrew word actually means. And I've got that for you here. It's pronounced rafa. I, I probably don't speak it in the right lingo or the right uh, accent, but rafa actually means to slacken, sink, or um, to abate, cease, draw towards, Relax is one of the, the many ways that this word can be translated. It is a verb, and it is in the imperative 
tense here. Now what that means is it's a command, okay? So this word is like, you be still. That's how this is coming across. Stop striving. Now it's closely related, interestingly, to the primitive root, rafa. See how closely those are? And actually when I looked at some of the study tools, the second one can be spelled both ways. Similar to some of our English words where uh, it's just pronounced slightly different. And in this sense, it means to cure, make whole, or to heal. You know, we often think of God as Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who heals. And, and so these words are closely related so that in this, this slackness, this ceasing to strive, or this, this rest, this place of stopping, there's curing and healing and making whole. Isn't that beautiful? I, I, I ran across and I think, oh, that, that's just interesting. But you know, interestingly, the top word in this uh, Psalm 46, I think it was one of those play on word things that often artists use to, to illustrate in this song what the important thing is to stop. It is the only place in scripture it is used in this, this way. This word only appears once in this verse, Psalm 46, 10. You know, as I looked at different translations, I thought, well, this is interesting. I wonder how other translators translate this. Most of them go with still, be still. Some say desist, that means stop. Some say stop your fighting, that's the Holman's translation. And I'm like, stop your fighting? And then some say cease striving. That one's probably more, that's a NASB, a North American Standard Bible. I think that's what NASB stands for. And, you know, I think, well, maybe they go with still because uh, stop your fighting and striving and know that I'm God doesn't fit as, as well on a T-shirt or a plaque. So we go with still. Be still. No, I'm God. More importantly than being just being still, the focus is more appropriately on the phrase, know that I am God. There is no hidden nuance to that. We're going to unpack that a little bit today. Is that okay? Yeah? If we back up to the beginning of the Psalm 46, we see the context that this verse appears in. We can read in the very first verse of Psalm 46, 1, in the first part of verse 2, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble, so we will not fear. I don't know if that's a declaration or a reason that God is there, but either way, the point is, He's our refuge and strength. Do you know what the rest of this psalm goes on to say? It goes on to list all sorts of troubles. Let me li li list them for you. Earthquakes, mountains crumbling into the sea, oceans roaring with foam, nations in chaos, kingdoms crumbling, the earth is melting, destruction and judgment. And then in the middle of it all is this one refrain. This one refrain, the Lord, refrain, the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. That is in verse seven and 11. It's repeated there twice, this song refrain. And sandwiched in the middle, we find the command, be still and know. Being the visual person, I like pictures, so I thought this photo might help you grasp this just a little bit of what's going on in this psalm. The seas are roaring and raging, the waves are churning, and it's dark, and you can't see very clearly. It's a storm, and in the middle of that storm, there's calm at the center of the storm. God is there. 
It tells us that no matter what is going on around us, God is in control. He is in control. He is God and he is in control and he is with us. Isn't that good news? So I don't know what you're going through today, but I hope that that's good news for you. God is God and he is in control and he is with us. He's with you. It's simple, right? So we can all go home, sermon done. You got it. Be still, know he's God. Good, everything. You won't worry about another thing. Our reality is, uh, sadly, like the ocean, we are so busy and we get so distracted and we are in perpetual motion, just like those waves of the ocean. It's the world we live in today. And do you know, I've actually heard people say recently, man, I wish we could go back into lockdown. Now, for those of you that have been in Melbourne through all of that, you think, are they crazy? <laughs> but... Uh, you know what? I thought maybe we took them for granted. You know, those times that we had to stop and be locked in our houses. While we all seem to crave the stillness, it's so elusive. Why is that? Why is that? And, and I suspect, as I've pondered this, this is what I figured out. Being still is just hard to do. It's a hard thing to do. Harder for some than others. I suspect that our world out there is full of ceaseless striving because they're trying to fill a God-shaped hole with anything and everything that they think are gonna fill it and satisfy that deep craving that we have. Even we as Christians, though, get sucked in to that vortex. The thing that we fill it with most, though, you know what it is? Anxiety, don't we? How many times does the Bible tell us not to worry or be anxious? But we can... You know, it's really easy for me to point out the problems. I'm good at that. You can ask my husband. <laughs> I'm a creative refiner, just so you know. <laughs> but, you know, stillness, I think some important scripture truths can help us through this problem. Now, I don't want you to think, get the wrong idea about stillness, and stop doing everything. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything, okay? We have to do our part. Because you know what I learned from the Bible is that we were designed to work did you know that? I mean, God sets the example for us. We are created in his image, and we know right from the very first pages of Scripture that in Genesis, God created the world. He did that in six days, according to our pastor's grasp on that. Some people don't agree with that, but the, the reality is he worked. God created, and then he rested. He put Adam in a garden to till it and name the animals. He gave him a job to do right away. He asked Noah to build an ark. He had Moses lead people out of Egypt. There's a Proverbs 31 chapter in the Bible. If you're not familiar with that, look that up, ladies. It's a high bar that, you know, is set for us. But we see prophets and we see tent makers and we see fishermen and we see all manner of things, teachers and, and lawyers. And you know what? Work is good. God created us for that. We're told in Proverbs even the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom that go, it says in the old language, go to the ant thou sluggard. Let me put that in the modern language for you. Is that, you know, have you seen how hard the ants work? Don't be a slacker, okay? Paul, writing in the New Testament, had this to write to the Thessalonian church. He said, if a person doesn't work, neither shall he eat. Working, we see, is an important and expected activity, and it's a good thing. And that's not to say you shouldn't retire 
or that if you're out of work right now, you're a bad person, that's not what it's saying. But we know that work in and of itself isn't bad. The problem comes in is that when we get in a hurry with what we're supposed to do and we rush ahead or we try to do it myself. Do you have little kids? Have you ever seen little kids? I do it myself. And we forget God's empowerment. You know, he, we need him more than we realize. And, and when we forget this truth and leave God out of it completely, it causes us to forfeit this empowerment. And sometimes we miss the mark completely. We make decisions without him, big ones. And then we wonder, oh no, my life's falling apart. What happened? We've got to go back and seek him. You know, I was thinking, why do we do this? And I think it's because we forget the important truth that we need God all the time, all the time, for the big things and the little things. That doesn't mean that you have to say, God, do you want me to fix this or this for dinner tonight? But it, it, it does mean that we need to seek him with those important decisions that we make in life. Think about it, he is Lord of all creation. We sing about that, we sing songs about that. He created the universe, it is bigger than we ever imagined it was as we continue to discover the universe. Um, scientists are puzzled by what holds it all together, it's bigger than we thought, and what is holding it all together, we just don't know. I can tell them who holds it together. And he who holds it together is working out an eternal plan that far exceeds your lifetime, or mine, or that baby that was just born yesterday. It's an eternal plan throughout generations. We forget this and we can become overcome by either furiously trying to fix everything ourselves, I know somebody a bit like that, or we become disillusioned with life and just are, just are over and want an escape. We get discouraged and are disillusioned by this emptiness that we feel. But I got some good news for you. I suspect that you did nothing to make the sun come up this morning, what little of it we do see, and that you won't have to do it tomorrow either, that it doesn't all depend on you. So if you're one of those people that think you gotta fix everything and it depends on you, and yes, maybe your job requires you to make some tough decisions, you got some tough empowerment to lean into, and that is such a relief. I find that a relief. So what do we do? These are the problems, what do we do? It's uh, I'll tell you some time-tested truth that we can find in our scriptures. The first one is this. The psalmist writes in another psalm this truth for us. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. You know, we're not good at that stillness. We're not good at patience. I know that I'm not. But waiting is sometimes what we need to do because often we want to rush ahead of God and, get a, and, and fix it because he's not doing it on our timeline. The psalmist urges, be still and wait patiently for God. And then the prophet urges us to do this, but those that wait, hope, and trust in the Lord will find new strength. Now, I put those three words there because your different versions will translate that word different ways, but it all has that whole concept of waiting, hoping, and trusting. They that wait on the Lord are showing their trust in him and will find new strength. So the solution is when we work, we need to do it in his strength, trusting him for the outcomes. Isn't that good? We can do that, we can do that. Now, the thing is that stops us sometimes is we're afraid of what his outcomes or his answers are gonna be, 
But, but remember, he sees the big picture that we don't often see. We've got to trust him through that. You know, the second problem I was contemplating about stillness, why it's so elusive for us, is we get distracted and we lose focus, don't we? Uh, especially those uh, that may have ADHD. I'm, I, sometimes I wonder, do I have it? Do I not? I don't know. Does it matter? Um, but we get distracted and we lose our focus. We ch- chase after things seeking to prove our worth. This is, you know, I do some counseling, and so I see this over and over and over again. The more people I talk to, the more I see it. We're chasing after this, that, or the other, trying to prove we're worth something, that we matter. You know, we compare ourselves. We do this through comparing ourselves to others, and we get really competitive. You know, uh, Stan and I, being from America, uh, we are are super competitive. It's it's part of our culture. In fact, um, we'll be competing this week as we unpack uh, today's service. Who had the longer sermon, him or me? And and a little clue: shorter's better. So I'm going for shorter. (laughs) Depends on who you ask. But we compete with others, and you know, we have this desire, especially in our day and age, we wanna uh, be seen and feel important. What do you think the whole influencer movement is about? Influencers want to be seen and heard and, and feel like they're worth something. People notice them. We often look on social media sites and, and we get this fear of missing out, the FOMO. We've even got a little name for it, FOMO. Um, and. That's part of what drives this, this need for worth is this, you know, we can't miss out on anything. We want people to notice us. And, you know, I've noticed the longer I, older I get that no matter what area we talk about that touches our lives uh, is given to extremes. You know, you got the far left and the far right. It's in our politics. It's in our life. It's the way we approach things. Either you eat absolutely no meat or animal products whatsoever or you eat nothing but meat. You know, it's, it's these extremes and, and that's not healthy for us um, because on one extreme, we set unrealistic goals for ourselves. I'm one of those unrealistic goal-type people. Or on the other side, we just give up altogether and we're lazy. And, and that's not good either. And, and that often comes because we're so burnt out because we were doing this for so long that we end up burnt out and we end up over here and just, I can't do anything anymore. And, you know, some of that comes because we hold on so tightly for that need for control. And, and, and we're so desperate for it because it scares us when we let go of things and trust somebody or something else to do it. They won't do it the way I do it. They don't do it the way I like for it to be done. And so we become rigid and inflexible and immovable because of our fear of loss of control. You know, and working, especially with missionary workers, um, something I learned in that process, but, but I see it in, in the work that we do and stuff like that, people will say, I am this, I'm a nurse, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a, or must be on medical stuff today, I'm a pastor, I'm a missionary, I'm a, I'm a, you put fill in the blank. Our identity gets tied to what we do and it also gets tied to what we have, what we own. You know, I've got, I've got to get a bigger, better house. I've got to do this, that. And it drives the need to, to make us feel like we're important. We want people to like us, don't we? Not just notice us, but to actually like us and want to be like us maybe, some of the influencers. But we... Um, 
often will try so hard at that, we don't want to disappoint anybody. And I remember uh, Pastor Stan preaching a sermon not that long ago that spread the disappointment. Do you remember that one? If you weren't here, go back in socials and find it because it's a good one. When you hear him repeat that, spread the disappointment, it's, it's that idea that we can't do everything. In fact, there's a tennis player so famous, Serena Williams, that, that realized that herself. She said at the top of her career, I, uh, I, I came to realize when I started a family that I can't have it all. You can't have it all, and that's okay. You know, what happens in these times is that we have forgotten that God loves us as is. I know that because Scripture tells us that that God loves us, that even when we were sinners, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, that while we were still sinners, he did that. So you, our solution for this, this chasing after, is that remember that your true worth, your true worth is found in God's unconditional love for you. And that goes for every single person in this building and online and those outside of this building He has seen you at your worst, and he still loves you. Rest in that. Work for an audience of one, the only one that matters. The third problem I've noticed for stillness is that we forget our purpose, which is to glorify God. We're prone to get driven by the wrong drivers. Sin, the sense of greed or pride or power often drive these behaviors in us. It's the pursuit of things In that pursuit of things, it draws us away from God. We're running after things instead of to God, right into the path of self-destruction or breakdown. And it's not just a today problem because as I looked at church history, the early church fathers in a meeting known as the Westminster Confession were grappling with this. And they put together a series of statements, these reformers of the early church that um, addressed some of these issues back in the 15th century, the 1600s. In 1646, this is what they came up with for man's purpose. The chief end of man is to glorify God, enjoy him forever. They wanted those short statements to remind the people of the day back in the slow 1600s that our chief end, our our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But even further back than that, we read a story about 2,000 years ago of two sisters One's name was Martha, one's name was Mary, and Martha was a doer. In fact, she invited Jesus into her home. She was probably the eldest, I'm guessing, and she was busy about making the biggest feast possible to show off for Jesus, and maybe, maybe not, I don't wanna judge her heart, but you know what, she was busy, and she was distracted, the Bible says, by many things, and she got so frustrated because her sister Mary was not helping. You know what Mary was doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, making time for Jesus, and listening to him teach, and when Martha went to Jesus and said, Jesus, make my sister help me, she's being lazy, do you know what he said to her? He said this, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needed, Mary has discovered it, and it cannot, will not be taken away from her. What if that was your name in there, Deanna, Deanna? You're worried about too many things and upset about too many things. Don't you want to be the kind of person who invests in the things that can't be taken away from you? If so, you've got to remember not to let the temporal distract you from the eternal. 
It's not that you don't do the things that you have to do here, but you can't forget that it's not about the here and now. You may live, if you're lucky or blessed, maybe to 90. If you live more than 90, you got bonus points. But that's not the norm. You know, I wanna tell you, full disclosure, I do know that personality types can be a factor in this, how we go about life. I live with somebody who really struggles to sit still, not naming any names. <laughs> but in all fairness, I myself can tend to be more like a Martha than a Mary at times, because I like things to be perfect, and that is my downfall most of the time. Um, I can be a little too overzealous, and I thought we can't all be still water all the time uh, because some of us were meant to sparkle. That's how I like to look at it. Um, so if you're one of those that's meant to, was made to sparkle, you're that sparkling water, that's okay. God made you the way he did. Just make sure you balance it and keep the calm outside of that glass. Learning to be still, this is what I've known in my age. I'm not gonna tell you how old that is, um, but it takes a lifetime. It really does take a lifetime. I'm still learning those lessons. Learning to be still and know that he is God takes a lifetime. You know why that is? Is because it comes through life lessons as God uh, stretches our faith and teaches us to trust him no matter what, no matter what comes in. There's a record in the Bible that we see even the disciples, the early disciples of Jesus learn lessons this way. The storms of life are what grow our faith. Don't ever forget that and don't wish them away. They're important, they're an important part of your faith being grown by God. Now, I'm not talking about those messes you create yourself, but the ones that you didn't ask for. This was certainly true for the first disciples when they got in a boat and went across a, a lake and a big storm blows up and Jesus, where's he at? He's asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat and the waves threaten to overtake the boat and they all go to him and say, why don't, you're, aren't, you're not caring for us, we're gonna die here. And the Bible has recorded for us this verse. And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The storms are gonna come and it's gonna rock our boat but God uses them to get our attention and draw us back to himself. They were drawn to the back of that boat to Jesus who could calm that storm. And you know, these storms, we resent them because they are a disruption of our plans. That's what it is. They come in many different forms. A lot of them we don't choose for ourselves. Accidents happen, breakdowns happen, loss happens an illness, whatever it takes to slow us down long enough for God to get our attention again and draw us back to himself. You know, I was reminded as I thought through this, you know, many of you would know that we went through a, a lot of uh, deep challenges. Uh, our youngest daughter had some health concerns that were really stopped life for us for a season. And she's here today and we're thankful for that. But what illustrated it in my mind more than anything was a friend that I had back in the States. Her name was Thelma. Not a name we hear very often. Thelma was an elderly retiree from New York. That may not mean anything to you, but I didn't like her the first time I met her. I thought she was too direct and too harsh, and uh, I'm like, who is this woman and who does she think she is? 
But I grew to love Thelma. She was a wonderful woman of God in her later years. She was so busy with her husband, they uh, formed a business called the Busy Bees. And you may have wondered, what, what is this up here on my, my platform? They would make things for uh, missionaries and ministry people and stuff, and they would make these little flag holders. And this one was to remind me where I came from, to remember where I was going, and to remember what needed to be at the center of that. This is a Christian flag, which we don't see too much in Australia, but a lot of old churches would have them hanging there. And that was a reminder to me and Stan who we were and what we were on about, to keep Christ at the center. Well, Thelma, after we came overseas, I mean, she was always, we were in youth ministry and she was always baking banana bread or banana cake for the teenagers and giving it to us. And, you know, we would use it for youth activities and stuff like that. I loved her banana bread, best in the world. And I remember when we were getting on the plane to come over here to Australia for the very first time, what did she bring me to the airport? But a loaf of banana bread, which I carefully carried um, along the plane with us. Well, when word came to us that Thelma had been diagnosed with ALS, that's motor neuron disease, she was just devastated because what it does is it shuts down the body while leaving the mind fully intact. As her body slowly froze and became motionless, she had to lay in that bed. So on a, a visit back, I would go see Thelma in the nursing home that she was in and I bought a couple Christian posters. One had a kitty cat, kitty cat, oh my goodness, kitty cat on it that was hanging onto a rope, barely, and it said, Lord, help me hang in there. And I hung that on her wall so she could look at it and remember to hang on. And then uh, the other poster was Psalms 23, which is the Lord is my shepherd, and it goes on to remind her of God's presence. And I thought if she can't read her Bible like she used to, she can at least look at those posters and be reminded you know, God doesn't always still us in such dramatic ways. Sometimes storms are sent to stir us up so we don't stagnate. Because stagnant water is yucky. You wouldn't want to go swimming in it. You wouldn't want to drink it. But often we become complacent in our relationship with God, and he's got to stir us back up. He sends those trials to draw us back to himself. Literally, stagnant water isn't moving. It, it, it sits there with all kinds of bacteria and fungi breeding in it, and it's, it's replete with disease. It causes diseases. And this can be true in our spiritual life, the same as it is in the physical world out there when we forget that we need to walk in the Spirit. Never wish away your trials. Learn your life lessons. The quicker you learn them, the quicker you'll get to move on until the next one comes where God grows you that little bit deeper. You know, remember I said I like pictures. This picture here just reminded me, I put this together for you, that in the storms of life or in the stagnant places, the yucky, murky water, we really want to be in this calm presence where our God resides. Be still and know that he is God. Do you see how well that still water reflects the heavens above that is what God is asking from us today. Let me ask you a question. Are you thirsty to all this talk about water? I'm feeling a little thirsty, but are you thirsty? Just like we can't live without water, science tells us we have to have it. It's life-sustaining. Neither can we live a full life without God. He needs to be our center. We need to reflect his stillness 
in our lives. I liked what this theologian, this well-known theologian had to say. Dallas Willard, you're a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God, which means you are not made to be self-sufficient. You know, Jesus offers himself to each and every person on this planet as living water for the thirsty soul. My question is, do you know him? Are you in a time of turmoil in your life? Jesus can calm your own personal storm. He does it, he's, he's faithfully doing it. And if he sent one your way, he's asking you to be still and know that he is God. Are you tired of waiting? You've been asking God for an answer for so long and you're just so tired of waiting. I would just urge you, keep praying and trusting. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Do you lack peace or need help and healing? Jehovah Rapha, place, healing can be found in that place of stillness. So stop striving and grab hold of it or just let it rest upon you. Or maybe you've grown complacent and neglectful. I know that I went through a really serious season of calm and I'm thinking, wow, it's too easy. And then boom, we had a, a life crisis in the middle of the year, a marriage breakdown and, in our extended family and it was really unsettling. And you know what? Even through that and through the Christmas season, I just felt such a deep sense of peace it wasn't what I wanted, it wasn't what I'd planned, but God was there and I still trust him. The story's still being written. Your story's still being written too. And if you're courageous, you can ask him, Lord, I'm, I'm becoming too still and stagnant. Will you stir me once again? And then hold on tight because he likes to answer those prayers. Don't be afraid to pray them. He wants you to face your fears with faith. Can I pray for us? Can I pray for us? Our God and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who can calm the storms, that holds the universe in place, that knows our every need and concern, and you are faithful and able and powerful to calm even the most raging thing within us. Father, I just pray that each and every person in this place, whatever the need may be, here or online, we just ask you that you, we, you would help us to be still and remind us to know that you and you alone are God. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.